If you'd remain standing, our scripture reading comes this morning from Matthew 5, verses 31 through 37. Jesus said, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated. Sorry, I left my keys sitting there, and I'd be bound to knock them to the floor or something in a minute. Okay. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, as we've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Just a reminder, this sermon is a sermon that Jesus preached uh, on a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. They believe in the northern part of of Israel around Galilee on the uh, northeastern shore where uh, Jesus sat and talked to the crowds and to the disciples. And just a reminder, he began with the Beatitudes, which were were a series of short teachings um, that he chose to speak as marks of the Christian faith. And so, so often the Beatitudes have been read as a way for us and for others in the larger culture to look and see how we're to act. And what Jesus is really saying is he's saying, if you're a follower of me, these are ways that you're supposed to be identified. And so we looked at those a few weeks ago, and we saw how how these marks of a Christian are to help you and I to be visible reminders to the world of our faith and of the gift of God that is given to us through Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus talks about the Beatitudes, he then transitions into the, the portion of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about how believers are to be salt and light, how we're to be visible reminders, a visible presence within the larger culture where people can identify who we are and what we believe by our actions and our words and the ways that we relate to other people. Jesus then continues and does this throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as he makes a comparison between what it means for you and I to be followers of him and he sets up being a follower of him against the Pharisees and the legal experts. And so when he talks about righteousness, he talks about how you and I are to be identified by our Christian righteousness And he even says that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees, that we should be known for going further than the minimum of the law in the way that we think and in the way that we act and in the way that we live. And then he says, don't discard the Old Testament. Because he himself came to fulfill the the words of Moses and of the prophets. Last week we shifted gears and and kind of entered into a more difficult portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus picks up and and lists six different things or commands or principles that come from the Old Testament law. And in each of these principles or commands, whatever you want to call them, Jesus uh, takes these sections and he takes the original words from the Old Testament and he addresses how we are to follow them as followers of him and he compares that to the teaching of the Pharisees. 
Last week I mentioned that some of these sections that Jesus lifts up are some of the more difficult passages for us to read. I'll be honest, they're some of the hardest ones to prepare for and to preach on. And so there's a temptation for us to cut the portions of the Bible that are uncomfortable out of it or to skip them altogether. If we believe that the entire Bible is the Word of God, inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit, then we can't pick and choose. And because when we pick and choose the passages that that we prefer and discard those that we don't like, we take the Bible from being the Word of God and we take the Bible to, to being something that it's not intended to be. We make it our own book, don't we? And so today's scripture is the same way. It's ones that would be very easy to to skip over, and they're the words of Jesus, and they deal with our human condition, they deal with our sinfulness, they deal with with a potential time when, when we might have hardness of heart or our brokenness or just shortcomings. But what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's setting a standard of what it means to live in God's kingdom. Friends, what does it take to live in God's kingdom? If I think about it, it means that Jesus is setting a standard that only God himself can meet all of these things. This is a standard that that only Jesus himself could fulfill. Because we know that he was faced with sin, we know that he was sinless. But we also know that he is presenting a vision of what it will be when you and I rest in the presence of God, when you are able to live in the kingdom of God, and when you and I have received so many things that we need, which is redemption, where we've received forgiveness, and where we need Jesus' help to help us overcome the humanity that we face. I mean, basically, as we read them, we have to read them and say, how does this help me, or, or how is this living or into God's kingdom? And I think part of it is the realization that there is much that Jesus talks about that you and I are not able to do on our own. And even better and furthermore, there is much that Jesus talks about that at the end, with his resurrection and his death on the cross, we are already forgiven for. And so as we began to see last week, these six topics talk about our human experience. And there are situations that you and I may directly be impacted by or indirectly. And like last week, as we talk about them, I just want to encourage you to hear the words as we invite the Holy Spirit to guide us as we read and think about them. And we pray that God will, will give us grace and humility as we engage them and as we also remember that these are Jesus' words to his followers as he talked about, about what it will mean to be in God's kingdom and how we're to live. So this morning our scripture covers two topics, the first being divorce and then the second being the the topic of taking of oaths or of pledges. When we look at the first topic from Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 through 32, biblical scholars also turn to Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12. And what they do is they set both passages of scripture together to get the full uh, measure of what Jesus is saying when he talks about marriage and when he talks about divorce in the book of Matthew. I think some background is helpful as we read these passages and as we also think about what Jesus is saying and the whole reason that he has to address this issue of marriage and divorce. 
Because if you'll remember with me that one of the things that he is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking things that the Pharisees are teaching, he's looking at the, the biblical Old Testament command that they're teaching upon, and then he's seeing that he needs to correct it. Does that make sense? And so this is one of those where Jesus is doing that. At the time of Jesus, there were two major rabbinical schools in Jerusalem. If you remember, young men in Jesus' time would go and they would study under a rabbi from about age you know, 10, 11. And then they would live with the rabbi. They would be with the rabbi. They would witness everything. They'd be there for years in preparation. During this time, they would listen to the rabbi. They would witness the rabbi. They would have the opportunity to discuss and ask questions. One great example of this is Paul who we know is the great apostle, who is a great missionary for the faith. When he was in his childhood, he moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem. And in Acts 22, he says, I am a Jew born of Tarsus in Cilicia, but I brought up in this city. I stuttered under, under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, I was Jewish, I was from Tarsus, I moved to Jerusalem, and I studied under Gamaliel, the law of our ancestors. This means, I mean, Paul's showing us what, what people did in those times to study under a rabbi. And what it was, was to learn how to live as a faithful practitioner of the faith and to follow the law. Now, in Jesus' time, there was Shammai and Hillel. The two were opposite in their interpretation and understanding of the Torah and what it meant to live faithfully, especially around Deuteronomy 24, which is the Old Testament scripture that deals with divorce. Shammai interpreted this passage in the traditional sense, basically saying that divorce is only permissible when the marriage covenant was broken through sexual sin or adultery. Hillel, am I on the right side? Okay, good. Is on this side. Oh, right, now, his interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 was that divorce meant that it was obtainable for virtually any reason. And so if you go and read in biblical commentaries, you could laugh at some of the things that are listed. It said a man could divorce or obtain a divorce certificate for anything with some examples being burning dinner, bad posture, bad appearance, having hair unbound, going to visit, a woman going to visit her family without his permission, um, having a misshapen head, uh, different colored eyes. Um, I don't even know. I, writ, I only wrote a few down, but, and I could start remembering more. Basically, Hillel's interpretation was you could divorce someone for anything, including just getting tired of her. Now, here's the thing. This is, uh, of course, the people love this in, in biblical times. This meant that someone could present a certificate of a divorce and force his wife to leave his home for virtually anything. And as you can imagine, people liked that interpretation. Because it meant that they were being faithful and true to the law because Hillel was interpreting it that way. But it also meant that they were giving in to their sin and their temptation and they were uh, falling short of what God was really wanting and calling them to be. So as he did in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presenting a very different alternative to the more popular cultural interpretation of marriage and divorce, isn't he? In Matthew 19.3, you can go and, and read it, but there's a few questions that the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? You hear what they're asking? They're saying, is it Hillel or is it Shammai? 
Which, which party do you fall under? Which teaching are you falling under? They're trying to get Jesus on record, aren't they? And what did Jesus answer? He says, neither. <laughs> because he didn't even focus on what made divorce permissible. He focused on keeping of covenant. He focuses on the cover of marriage. He doesn't talk about divorce, and he talks about, about what it means to be faithful. And then the Pharisees responded by going back to Deuteronomy 24 where they said, Why then did Moses command that his man give, a, man give his wife a certificate of a divorce and send her away? Right, so they didn't get Jesus on part one, so now they're going with part two. And Jesus' answer to them was nothing except, he said, Well, Moses never gave a command that you had to divorce your wife. And so what he's doing is he's focusing on the institution of marriage between uh, two people, a man and a woman, that come together to make a covenant before God and one another. Do you see what the Pharisees are trying to do, though? Is they're trying to, to question Jesus in order to, condone, to get him to condone the, the interpretation of Hillel or this lighter view on marriage and on covenants in general. And what Jesus does is he takes his answer, both in the Sermon on the Mount and also in Matthew 19, and he takes it beyond just the act of marriage, just the relationship of marriage, and he turns it into something where he's more focused on people's hearts. Because I think as we're going to see as we study the Sermon on the Mount, and as we have been studying it the last three weeks, is that Jesus at his heart... And Jesus, at the core of what he is teaching, is way more focused on the condition of you and my heart, and he's way more focused on the heart of the law than he is people actually like following it to the T. It's a recurring theme. Because he wants us to look at these things and to say, how does this affect my heart? How is this affecting how I'm living? How does this affect how I'm living in response to his grace? In response to the, the sacrifice that he has made on my behalf and on the way that, that I choose to li and live to be faithful. Folks, he's more concerned about the hardness of our hearts. And on the hardness of our hearts that we are showing towards others in our hardness and in the way that we are treating them. He's more concerned about us earnestly seeking to, to receive and ask for forgiveness that comes out of the, the grace of God for each of us, even as we fall short and even as we know that we have fallen short of who God wants us to be. See, Jesus wants us to root ourselves in Him, to pray for His grace to soften our hearts so that we can truly love Him and to be accountable to Him. It's only then that the grace that He pours into us can flow outward from our lives into the lives of others. And then He shifts and talks about oaths and the importance of speech that we use. Again, this is kind of a whiplash, really, if you think about it. If you're one of the, the first listeners of Jesus and you're thinking, okay, okay, he's talking, and then he just shifts gears. But I think it's important because uh, the, the, um, Jesus is taking on the, the teachings of the rabbis in the time and the Pharisees and the way that they're interpreting the, the teachings of Moses. Where he says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say simply, yes or no, 
Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Folks, we live in a world where truth is not always truth as we see it. We live in a world where the words, what is truth, reign before us. I mean, I think back to, to the gospel when Jesus is, is standing before Pontius Pilate, and what does Pilate ask him? He says, what is truth? As Jesus is talking with him, as Jesus is, is telling him who he is, and as he's trying to figure out what's going on, and, and the thing is, is, is we live in a world where, where alternative facts are spoken, or truth is not necessarily truth. We live in a world where, where people are, are declaring their own thoughts, their own experiences, and saying it's truth. And you're not allowed to question that. Folks, this is the, the same as even in the time of Jesus and the way that the Pharisees were interpreting the law and what it said to talk about oaths and what it said to, to interpret truth. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, 12, it says, Do not swear falsely by my name, Profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. So as, as we read this passage of Scripture, and it ties into the Sermon on the Mount today, originally as I was thinking of it, Leviticus 19.12 often is the passage of Scripture that you and I use to tell people not to use the Lord's name in vain when we swear, correct? You're not allowed to say the Lord's name in vain when you swear. And while it's an important way for us to show reverence to God, it's not necessarily what is meant, and Jesus takes us further in it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees are interpreting Leviticus 19 in order to say that if someone swore an oath or a pledge according to a certain formula, meaning if it didn't have God's name in it, it was a pledge that could be broken. And so what they were teaching people is, let me tell you how to swear a pledge that if you intend to break or if you accidentally break it, it's not a sin then because you didn't use God's name in it. Or they, so that what they were telling people is, is make your pledge then on, um, you know, Jesus lists it. He says on the heavens or on earth, or on Jerusalem, or on your own head. And Jesus said, don't make it on any of those, because all of those things belong to God already, or are a part of God. See, what he's doing is he's trying to, to close the loopholes, isn't he? He's trying to close the loopholes that people were using to, to make oaths, and then break their oaths without worrying about it. They were trying to find the wiggle room in the law that allowed someone to make an oath to someone else that they could break with them, but it was still being faithful to what the law said. So they were still being faithful to God. It's not very different than today, is it? But see, Jesus addresses that too. Because he makes it clear that being a disciple of him, that if we're being people who live in his kingdom and who choose to follow him and choose to be a part of his kingdom, it means we have to be clear in our communication and we have to have honesty and we have to have integrity. We aren't exploiting loopholes by answering a question and saying yes, dot, 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 but. Or saying no, dot, 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 but. 
What he's saying is the word to your fellow man or woman is to be the same. And to be as, it's to be as important as the same word that you give to God himself. He didn't tell us to, to forsake making oaths. But what he did say is, he said, don't make oaths that you, have ever, you don't have any intent to keep. Don't make covenants that you have no plan to honor. Don't be malicious in your dealings with others. Deal with them with the same integrity and honesty that you bring to God himself. Folks, as Jesus gave these words to the early church, to the first Christians, it wasn't even a church yet, he did them with an understanding that they had... I mean, you have to think, as they heard these words, they were hearing them for the first time, and we have the benefit of hearing them and knowing that at the end he gives us forgiveness. For every one of these six things that he lists in the Sermon on the Mount, for every one of these things that he sets against the teaching of the Pharisees and the law, where he presents something, where, where he's presenting a, a way that they are to live more righteously than even the Pharisees are teaching... He gives us something to work for. But then you have to remember that He's already given us the forgiveness for it. When He hung on the cross and when He gave Himself up so that you and I could truly live, so that you and I could truly enter, so that you and I could truly be a part of the kingdom of God. And so that we could participate in the life that He lists. And so that we could receive the love that he shares. Because he gives us forgiveness. Because he gives us grace. And because he was God himself.